Last week, I'm afraid, was a 24-7 news environment with uh, constant digital news flow. And I think it was a lesson for uh, New York Fed Chairman John Williams, right? When he was uh, at the San Francisco Fed, you know, that was a big gig and a great job. But his voice is so much stronger. He may, it may sound like the same voice, but his voice is exponentially stronger now that he's the vice chair of the Federal Open Market Committee. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, John. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. My family's out of town this weekend, so I was a bachelor. Uh-huh. Now, you might think, you know... You've got 12 kids and eight dogs, right, and one <laughs> wife, if I remember correctly. Oh, my. And I'll tell you, the one wife, that's the trouble. <laughs> I deserve it, though, believe me. <laughs> this is a different podcast, right? That's right. No, but... um. Yeah, so, you know, obviously it's really hot all around the country. It's hot here. With no family, I just kind of stayed inside. A lot of my friends are out of town on vacation. And I just stayed inside and kind of did some stuff around the house I wanted to do, clean the garage out a little bit, organize my closet, just stuff that you want to do that seemed like they always get in the way. And I just watched a lot of movies, too. You know, it was I never, ever watch movies. I mean, I really don't have time, but just kind of watched some movies, and it was it – was, um, it was a nice, relaxing weekend. I'm recharged, but... And these were family-friendly movies, I'm sure. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Absolute cartoons, and they, they, were, they were some good ones. But nonetheless, it was um, it was a good weekend. I feel good about it, but I, I kind of miss the chaos, the screaming and yelling, the tears, the crying, and that's that's my wife and I from, from the three that's kids right. do to <laughs> us, but <laughs> it, was, it was a fun weekend nonetheless. How about yourself? Well, How'd your weekend good, go? Good, good deal. Well, a little quieter in our house, as you know, with the empty nest, uh, but Linda and I had a great weekend, and... Uh, you know, being the Irishman, I was excited to see Shane Lowry win the Open Championship yesterday. So that was that was exciting. In fact, I was so inspired, I went out and played and shot a million. So I wasn't as good. This Irishman wasn't as good as that Irishman, but nonetheless, we had a good time. Well, that's that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Congrats to him. And um, let's see. So that's the third major. There's one more, right? No, they're all done. They've. Uh, oh, that's the final major. Yeah, they okay. they keep reorganizing the schedule. Unfortunately, oh. it's you know, shocking, it's become a money grab, hmm. you know, because they say. have they have uh, the year-end FedEx Cup, right, mm-hmm. which is a uh, year-long point race system, if you will, right. um, and they're trying to get it in before the NFL. So they've kind of rushed the majors. So you literally have the Masters in April, the PGA in May, the U.S. Open in June, mm-hmm. and the British or the Open Championship yes. in July. So, and a lot of the players are starting to complain now because they're, inability to peak you know they like to play two or three times take a week off and then peak for the for for majors and with the new condensed calendar Hmm. i think that's going to be some of the some of the challenges we're going to be hearing from some of the pga players we're totally going off the subject we don't need to get into it but the nfl is talking about 18 games and only get to play 16 of them and you got to strategize which two does tom brady sit i mean you know we didn't even think we'd talk about this but hey like you said it's just trying to make the game better more exciting and get those eyeballs on it so you never know you never know that's right and you know my real passion is european soccer and it seems like you know these guys they run eight or ten miles a game and they go all year all year long they get six-week vacation and they're playing for their national team so i don't know how these guys you know my hammy's hurt just sitting here doing this podcast i can't imagine how these guys feel hurt i'm not looking forward to standing up just yeah, thinking they, about they it might be a little better physical specimen than my five foot seven hundred and forty five pounds we'll see <laughs> very true but our listeners are dialing in not to hear espn sports center although we do like to share um but we are uh very much focusing on market signals, as is the title of this podcast, and 
Today, we'd like to cover a couple things. I think commodities are sending a very interesting yet confusing signal, so I'd like to discuss that. Obviously, the Fed meets in a couple of weeks, so we want to talk about that. And then our weekly economic commentary uh, discusses the strength of the consumer. And finally, uh, we have been in print for over a year that we would be uh, uh, fairly valued at 3000 on the S&P 500. We were eclipsed it a couple of weeks ago, and now... You're only as good as your last game, and advisors want to know, and clients want to know what's next. And uh, we, you know, in a nutshell, we we're sticking with that three thousand. Uh, a lot of the uh, momentum, if you will, has had to do with some defensive, yield-seeking type sectors helping lead. And uh, if we do indeed get that pullback, which we expect, uh, we would prefer to see further cyclical contributions to justify or solidify. You know the fair value at three thousand. But first off, let's start with, let's start with commodity space. You know, gold has uh, finally above fourteen hundred dollars an ounce, breaking a what five or six year trend. Yes. You know, we've always been advocates of copper outperforming gold because Dr. Copper, as you may hear, uh, PhD in economics, forecasting uh, global economic activity. So we're seeing gold uh, maybe ten percent year to date, and copper up maybe three or four. Right. Yeah, I think I saw on Friday gold was up about twelve percent. Nonetheless, you know low single or low double digit returns but you're right i mean gold had a 10-year bull market peaking in 2011 then they've been it has been and obviously a bear market it feels like for, for a very long time but gold recently broke out to seven-year highs john above that 1400 an ounce level and you kind of get to hey well maybe after a 10-year bull market it just takes a long sideways move and still it's only you know just over over 1400 an ounce it peaked at 1900 an ounce again back in 2011 but what gets me is just the whole talk about, you know, potentially, uh, you know, a more dovish Fed. Obviously, President Trump has been kind of talking the dollar down. And then we have $13 trillion of negative yielding debt around the globe. Mm-hmm. All of those things have kind of combined to make gold at, you know, six or seven year highs as we speak. I mean, because it is a currency. It, it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. It's a relic, is it a currency it or a commodity? Or is it a rock? I don't know. But it yeah. hurts your foot when you drop it. I know it's that. It's shiny and it doesn't mm-hmm. pay a dividend. That's right. But the other thing that caught my attention, we've talked about silver versus gold. You know, silver is more of an industrial metal. Gold's more of a precious metal. And you have to go back 28 years the last time silver was this cheap relative to gold. So, you, you know, it's kind of a multi, multiple, if you will, on gold relative to silver. And that's... So last week, John Silver broke out. Silver did right. really well. Had a huge week, like a two, two standard, standard deviation. That's right. We were for both, the geeks yeah, listening we to us, at each other saying two standard deviation. So that, I get that's chills what, thinking about two standard deviation. That's right. That's what, preferably on the upside. <laughs> that's right. That's what you see. Tennessee at major market lows when things are starting to get moving. That big surge in strength, and that's what we saw. So if silver starts outperforming gold, if copper can start outperforming gold, maybe these are all signs that. The global economy is picking up a little bit, or maybe there's just better news on the China trade front, which is uh, potentially positive as well. And I think that's really going to be – I think that's what's going to get copper to go again. I guess we're basing around 270 uh, a pound, right? I guess it's – I can't even do the the, the tonnage price in my head, but, you know, if it's 270 a pound – you know, I think that's something – you know, if we're we're getting a good basing there in the 270 area – we're down. I guess we had gotten as high as 290 uh, earlier this year. Uh, clarity on trade, I think, will get us back toward the 293 dollar area, even. And then, then you have copper outperforming, and then 
that bodes well for for the return of more legitimate, more substantive global growth, because that's obviously what's got central banks concerned, right? And uh, the market's starting to appreciate not only the Federal Reserve sending signals, but Mario Draghi at the ECB, mm-hmm. Shinzo Abe, looks like he's going to be the longest serving PM in Japan's history now. So when you when you think about all the what the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, and the and the Federal Reserve are doing, uh, clearly sending signals that. Uh, money will be free for a little longer. Oh, exactly. You know, you mentioned gold, and just, just this is way off the subject, but I heard, like, a block of gold is extremely expensive. Remember the movie The Italian Job, where they steal all the gold and put them in those little cars and zoom off? You watched and, it this weekend, didn't no, you? Did. One, of the, one, one of the 87 movies you watched this <laughs> one weekend. One of the few movies I didn't. But I read that that was actually, you might be shocked to hear this, totally inaccurate. If you put that much gold in the back of it, no matter how much they made those cars special, those cars would have flipped right over because gold is so very, very heavy, uh, which would in the, sh- in the shock, but I guess sometimes it's good to hear that. So, John, that's enough about that. Um, anything else you want to put about commodities? I mean, it's an interesting world we're seeing, and there's potential it can keep moving higher, and maybe it's yeah, good for the global well, economy. I think I think one real bullish thing we should keep in mind, uh, in spite of copper's, call it weakness, mm-hmm. relative to gold, it's it's probably got the largest net short position it's had in, what, three or four years, we're going back to 16 or even 15 on that number. So uh, when you see such a large net short position, uh, that as a contrarian investor, that 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 can bode very well. So to the degree, too many people are on the wrong side of the trade, and we get a degree of clarity on uh, on that trade, and we get a degree of clarity on the U.S.-China trade relationship. You know, you could see uh, more of a spring-like return in in uh, a coiled move in copper. I'm sure there's some analogy we can come up with there, right? We should have done, <laughs> that. We done that before. We should have thought alive. of that before the podcast, right? <laughs> Next week. Nonetheless, yeah. um, you know, I think that net short position for contrarian investors uh, bodes well. Yeah, and just maybe I'll wrap it up like this. You know, we've done some studies on correlations. And, you know, industrials and emerging markets are two ways that investors potentially can play more strength in those industrial metals, copper specifically. Uh, those groups can benefit if we see some strength in those areas, if people look in a way to play. And that it. also comes in, you know, to the degree that dollar weakness plays into right. gold uh, because of the inflationary fear, you know, dollar weakness can also play into, uh, you know, Im- improved growth and a bid for copper as and the emerging space, right? Because, you know, to the degree emerging space is moving because of global growth, that's positive. But as you know, uh, for doing this for a long time, we could hang our hat on fundamentals all the time, which we always try to do, but yep. a lot of times fundamentals don't necessarily work. I mean, you could have emerging markets with a premium to growth for GDP, for example, uh, a premium to growth for earnings per share, for example, and then a discount to other you know, global markets on a PE basis. But that doesn't always get emerging markets to move. Emerging markets move on flows and a weaker dollar. And to the degree... The Fed does act, which is our next topic. To the degree the Fed acts, you know, the fact that, I guess, emerging right now, year-to-date is maybe up 9%, and, right. and uh, developed markets might be up 10 or 12, so lagging a little bit, and they've lagged certainly over the last six or eight weeks. Uh, that could be an opportunity for the emerging uh, market to turn. Good, good points there. So, John, let's go to the Fed. So, last week we had multiple Fed presidents that were in the news. The one thing I want to ask you about, New York Fed President Williams opened the door to a 50 basis point cut on July 31st, and then the Dove Bullard 
very soon after said, no, no, wait, 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 no, no. It's probably, we're not going to see likely see a 50 basis point cut. It's more going to be 25%. And after, or 25 basis points, I apologize. After William spoke, there's about a 40% chance before he spoke of a 50 basis point. It jumped up to 70%. 70, yeah. But it has come, it did come back down uh, fairly soon after. So multiple Fed presidents are out there talking, uh, you know, doing their thing in, in presentations and different interviews. What do you think? What should investors be on the lookout for on, I guess it's next next Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah the just, 31st. It was mm -hmm. just 20 years ago, we looked at the briefcase indicator to give an That's indication, right. right? When Chairman Alan Greenspan would cross the street, and if he had a thick brie briefcase, you know, they were going to act. Uh, if there was a light briefcase, they didn't act. Right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, last week was a very curious experience for the Fed because, messaging and uh, old timers will remember the term jawboning the markets right last week i'm afraid was a 24 7 news environment with uh constant digital news flow and i think it was a lesson for uh, new york fed chairman john williams right when he was uh at the san francisco fed you know that was a big gig and a great job but his voice is so much stronger. He may, it may sound like the same voice, but his voice is exponentially stronger now that he's the vice chair at the Federal Open Market Committee. So the implication of his speech was that 50 base points was necessary. The institution was put in a situation where they had to walk back those comments and reiterate that it was a, the comments were based on an academic study that showed preemptive actions were more effective for the economy overall. Uh, it looked like some people picked and choose what they wanted to hear from that speech and made it sound say. like a 50 basis point cut. But it's it's a good lesson for the Fed that, you know, Greenspan had that famous line before a uh, Senate subcommittee hearing. He said, Mr. Chair, if I, what I just explained to you made sense, you clearly misunderstood. You know, he always wanted to, <laughs> you know, emphasize obfuscation in all of his uh, all of his commentaries, and perhaps John Williams was a little too clear, uh, but nonetheless, the way those comments were interpreted. So, we believe the Fed's going to act by 25 basis points. I think it's really hard for them to to cut at 50 when we see jobs manufacturing. We do see low inflation, so that's an argument to cut. Right. Uh, the, the short end, you really look at the yield curve, it's a tale of two curves, right? You have 90s and 2s uh, with a big inversion relative, and then now 90s and 10s are about even. 2s and 10s are still 25 or 30 basis points. So uh, the long end of the curve is pointing to growth. The long end of the curve is telling us that what the Fed does in the near term is going to be positive for growth and positive for uh, pricing. But in the meanwhile, I think 25 basis points is what we can expect. Further dovish commentary, nothing at the next meeting, and maybe one more before year end. Because the short end of the curve is telling the Fed that given all the trade uncertainty, uh, rates are too tight, policy's too tight. What I what we find comfort in is that we don't see danger in credit spreads yet, right? So in spite of all the headlines and the concern, uh, spread sectors are not flashing alarm yet and we find that very encouraging no great points there yeah the investment grade spreads high yield spreads are still kind of where they've averaged going yeah, back within multiple decades historical so pace, right? really no no major concerns there now john i think let's move to the next subject which is the consumer this week's weekly economic commentary we kind of do a, a two two-parter kind of a look at the u.s consumer which is still on pretty good firm footing when you look at the data and also a preview of second quarter gdp now john According to the 
I guess it's the Atlanta Now Fed who does projections. They're the one place that does projections and kind of different components. They're looking for potentially, uh, what is it? It's 2.8% um, added to GDP from the consumer spending, which is, according to our data is one of the strongest numbers we've seen in a long time. Now, the overall expectation is it'll be around 1.6% if you look at Bloomberg data. So that means... 1.2, if my math is right, 1.2 percent is coming away from somewhere. Business investment, John yeah, business investment, uh, you know, spending, housing, and um, government spending. So the consumer looks good, but the rest of the economy is showing a little weakness in the second quarter. What do you think about that? Yeah, first off, shout out to Kelly Cox, our senior analyst, and Barry Gilbert, uh, who's done great, great work on this week's report. Really appreciate that. Um, yes, the. It is definitely a consumer-weighted economy right now, a fully employed consumer uh, with incomes rising at a non-threatening pace to keep the Fed on the sidelines or now cutting, potentially, as we expect. All the other factors driving the GDP equation, and really, if you want to think about it, the factors where government can influence growth. Mm -hmm. Government has four levers we talked about in the mid-year outlook, right? We talked about regulation, taxes, government spending, and trade. Those are the four levers that the government can pull to get growth going again. Well, regulation, taxes, and government spending have been tailwinds, yet trade has become a big headwind because trade results in a lot of uncertainty for businesses. And and when we wrote the 2018 market outlook, return to the business cycle, we we're excited about the prospect for clarity on some of these government uh, programs whereby and, and fiscal incentives to get businesses to invest again after the better part of a decade. So we saw first half of 18, very strong business investment, but really it's been spotty at best since then because businesses don't know where their supply chains are going to be. They don't understand the logistics yet because they want to see what, what the tariff situation is. So consequently, we are not seeing CapEx contribute to GDP, which as we've shared with many of you in previous podcasts, CapEx is so important to help elongate the expansion because that improves productivity, which helps us to produce more efficiently. Uh, it can elongate the expansion, but also it can sustain margins uh, because we don't see, uh, and I know you guys talked about earnings last week, but if you pr can preserve margins, that preserves uh, the earnings cycle as well. No, exactly. Good point there. Now, John, one other thing that caught my attention, we talked about it, I guess, within three months ago. We had a 3.1% in the first quarter, one of the best first quarters we've seen in years. And we said, you know, a lot of that was due to inventory. And if you look back and historically, you tend to see that kind of come off. So about a 1.6, 1.7% GDP in the second quarter, it's kind of what we expected. Even though that's going to be, if it's around that area, the lowest uh, GDP print we've seen since the first quarter of 2016. But maybe we shouldn't be so excited because it was kind of front-ended, right, with the first quarter yep. being so strong. Mm -hmm. When we see the print, um, I would like... You know, I expect for our research team to talk about averaging it out over the, right. the first half of the year because to get a north of 3% print and then potentially a sub 2% print, we've got to figure, okay, what, what, what's the deal here? And likely we are growing at about a one and three quarter to 2% type pace mm -hmm. for the first half of 2019 because, yeah, we were very aggressive in our, in our, uh, our prodigious writing relative to the economy then just saying you know be careful what you wish for you get a three percent print to the degree as it was a large portion of that was due to inventories when when businesses build up inventories it usually takes a quarter or two to work that inventory off the shelves and uh, when that inventory is not being produced 
just just being sold in air quotes. That's not additive to GDP. Right. And it, it's important to remember, during this recovery, this now 10-year-old economic recycle recovery, we've averaged an annual GDP of 2.3%. So that's kind of right in line with where we still think when this year is all said and done, maybe we can get up to 2.5%. So even this year could be a little bit better than average on the GDP front. Think yeah, I think if we, get, if, we get, if we get clarity on trade, sufficient clarity on trade, we could do 2.5. Uh, if we don't, it's, it's closer to 2. Okay, so. But nonetheless, it's 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 within trend either way, upside or downside, which is so curious also. Uh, and I think that's something important for our listeners to appreciate. For all the headlines trade is getting, trade is a remarkably small portion of our economy. And I just think that's something to be mindful of. And the consumer, as we mentioned, is Absolutely. still very strong. is two-thirds of GDP historically, and that's, that's right. the consumer still looks quite strong. So, John, we've got a few more minutes. Let's uh, wrap things up with what we talked about on our weekly market commentary. We titled it Riding the Wave for Now. And it's looking oh, it's at Jeff Bookbinder's uh, clever title. Yeah. I, can you just see him on a wave? That's right, yeah. I, I don't know if I could, Face but I am planning, visualizing right. it right now. <laughs> Jeff, he's, he's going to laugh when he hears us talking about that. Jeff out there <laughs> surfing the waves. <laughs> anyway, so the, the S&P 500 is about a percent away from 3,000. We've mentioned, like you said, for almost a year now, our favorite value target has been 3,000 on the S&P 500. I guess I'll just ask you, what should we do now? We're at our target. What do you yeah, think is going to happen? It's definitely not time for victory lap, right? It's mm-hmm. it's really time to double down and really reassess Um you know, I shared with a group last Friday, I was speaking to a group of investors, and I said, now now that we're at fair value, now, now is when our hard work really begins, because we have to justify, you know, the mar- A, the market never really spends a lot of time at fair value. It's either grossly undervalued or grossly overvalued. Exactly. And uh, we call this riding the wave, because... You know, we might be dumb, but we're not stupid. We're going to ride the wave if there's still further momentum behind uh, this market. But I want to make sure, you know, if if we're going to go to 3250 or to 3300 on the S&P, say, 12 months from now or 18 months from now or six, you know, we need clarity on trade. You know, and to the degree we get clarity on trade and, you know, you and I and the rest of the team are comfortable with you know, the impact to earnings per share and how that could flow through, I'm fine with it. But I do not want to go to 3300 on the S&P 500 purely on the idea that money's going to be for free forever and this market can be giddy about liquidity. You know, we're not going to go there. So uh, we're going to ride the wave for now. We're going to see what we're looking at from an earnings standpoint relative to clarity on trade. We went to market weight, as our listeners know, last the end of last March, early April. And uh, so you know, we've also talked quite a bit and written quite a bit about the whole idea of strong first half. You typically get an 8 to 10% correction, uh, particularly after such a strong first quarter. And I just think that, you know, we get the garden variety 6 to 8% pullback. That gets us to, what, 2750. That doesn't even get us to... to, to you know, even if we go to 2700 or 2650, uh, I see us as a team really looking at that cyclical play. There's been too much contribution from some of the bond proxies, whether it's REITs, communication services, which is a different index now, uh, sector now. But nonetheless, as investors are, are, are looking at bond proxies, yield seeking, we get a 6 to 8% pullback, 8 to 10% pullback. Uh, we're still going to look at industrials, technology, financials, to some degree energy, to some degree 
consumer discretionary and let that ride the wave back to 3000 by whether it's year end or early next year. Yeah, you know, John, a couple co- comments from me about riding the wave for now. We do note historically, when we say for now, we do note if you're not in a recession, when the Fed starts to cut rates, we found it was 84, 87, 89, 95, and 98. Six months later, up over 11% on average. And you mentioned pullbacks, and I'll wrap it up with this. When you're up 15% for the year at the midway point, like we were this year, you tend to see a 12% on average pullback. So there's no such thing as average, but still, the chance for a large, little bit larger pullback. And the average year, right, the average year is a 10% correction the second half of the year. So it makes sense. You have a big, you stretch that rubber band far, there's more of a time for it. But then you rally back. And off, then you tend to pullback, right? you absolutely, especially a pre-election mm-hmm. year, year three of the election cycle where we are right now, which has not been down on a total return basis since World War II, and clearly we're off to a pretty good start, up 19% as we speak. So, yeah. John, I think those we've we've, we've gone a little long, but at the same time, you know, we could do Sorry this. Sorry for those do, of you who are sucking hour. wind on the treadmill right we now. Shouldn't we shouldn't talk about it to 23 minutes. <laughs> we talked about golf too much in the beginning. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> clearing <laughs> our throats. It, it happens. So I had a lot of fun this week, John. You take us home. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your participation as always always and for our listeners just think about the market signals that we're seeing in commodities you know gold is doing great yes but we want to see uh, copper firm up the fed looking at 25 basis points from economy standpoint gdp call it 1.7 percent looks like for the uh one one and three quarters percent for the second quarter print that we'll see later on this week contribution from this consumer but again clarity on trade you start to see businesses and other forms of the economy participate and relative to the market yes we're at fair value now and we're going to see what where leadership comes from earnings relative to trade and if not where we assess so everyone thank you so much for listening we'll look forward to be on with you next week have a great week well that's it for this episode join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPO Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.